Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Can you say amen? You can have a seat. Thanks for reading that, Joyce. My, uh, my first camping experience, first time I was taken out on a retreat, uh, I was socially shamed for not knowing what this device is. Now, everyone will tell you, if you have basic knowledge of camping, you will know what this item is, and I'm here to tell you that's not true, okay? Only those that dwell in the high places of REI and Academy, okay? Only those who scoff at glamping, okay? Only those people really know what this contraption is that's in my hands this morning. Does anyone know what it is off the bat? Yeah, it's a fire start. The technical term would be it is a bow drill fire starter kit, okay? That is the technical term for it. And in which I'm informed what you're supposed to do uh, is you're supposed to put it together, as I've done, and you are supposed to hold the handle as you slowly just start moving the handle back and forth, and it creates a bunch of friction, uh, which creates these small pieces of char, which then the small pieces of char get on some type of like tinder, okay? Tinder, like combustible, flammable, not the app, okay? That's important. That's an important detail. Uh, and you're just supposed to go until you can get a fire started. Now, one of the things that they don't inform you about this is uh, this is exhaustive. It is very hard to actually get this fire started, no matter how people claim it to be. Most people get discouraged, i.e. Zen gets discouraged, because you will go at it for a really long time, and you will have very little results from it the entire time. This is the image I would like you to think of today when it comes to how you approach love. Right? So we started a series last week. Nope, that's not true. We started a series two weeks ago. We're on week three. Look at us just speeding through this thing. We started a series called The Process of Love. And in this process, we've been talking about how do you love those who are hard to love? Anyone can love those who are easy to love. How do you love those who are hard to love? And many times, the way that we approach, if we choose to love someone who's difficult, we tend to approach it this way. We say, you know what? I'm going to bear down and I'm going to love them. And then, you know, they say something sarcastic at dinner. And you're like, you know, I'm just going to love them a little bit more. And then they say that really ridiculous comment. And you're like, man, I'm going to really focus on loving them. And then they just do that one action that you're like, man, that just really gets under my skin. And you just try to love them as much as you can. And at some point, you get tired. You get exhausted. You get done. You ask yourself, why am I loving this person? Maybe the question of burnout that comes to you is, does it really even matter if I love them? This is the question of burnout when it comes to love. A love that is built off of grit. A love that's built off of just trying to make it happen. 
And most of the time when our approach to love is like this, we will find ourselves burned out at some point. But sharing life with Jesus offers a different process in how you can engage love. Now, how we've been engaging this process is we've been engaging uh, what Christians would call the early letters of John. Because John walks a community slowly through the process of love. When John wants to talk about love, he writes in these letters in such a way to refresh those who are hearing it and also redirect them who are hearing it. One early Christian actually described these letters like this. Reading these words will be like oil to a flame. For others, the letter should be like a flame set to firewood. If it was not already burning, the touch of the word may rekindle it. These are the words that Joyce read to us this morning. And I pray that they're true for us, just like they've been true for our brothers and sisters in the past. Will you pray with me this morning as we reflect on these words? So Lord, many of us, we come to you maybe a little bit burnt out on love this week. Some of us are empty of love. Some of us do not know how much love that we have to give. As we open your word, may you open our hearts in our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we may hear you and we receive every good promise that you have set before us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. When John speaks to a group of Christians who have been burnt out on love and possibly do not know how much love they have to give one of the most foundational places, John 3 starts is it starts by reminding you about the love of the Father. That if you're going to love, you cannot forget the love that God simply has. God's love is not an attraction. It is an action. God did not feel like loving. God in Jesus Christ took action to love. Here's how John says it in 3.1. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that he would be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. It did not know the God who lavishes love. Our inspiration and motivation, the thing that starts the spark, is not a God who lightly stewards is not a God who is stingy, is not a God that tries to portion out love. It is a God that's described as a God who lavishes love upon us all. What does it mean for God to lavish love upon you? Uh, One of the things I did when I was trying to finish out college and it was rough for a while there. Uh, I was trying to finish it out. And one of the things I'd do is I'd wake up really early and I'd go to a McDonald's and I would just work at this McDonald's just trying to get work cranked out. And one time that I went to McDonald's, because they have excellent pancakes. I don't know if you knew that. They really do have excellent pancakes. Uh, I would go, am I really loud? Is my microphone really loud? Yes? 
Okay, I, I just feel like it's, okay, maybe not, maybe not. Anyways, I'd go to McDonald's, right? You just got to see inside my mind. Um, I would go to this McDonald's, and one day, I got absorbed into a McDonald's training program, okay? I just had a computer laying out, and I guess they thought I was one of the people, and all these employees just came around me, and I was in a, a McDonald's employee training program, so I attended it. <laughs> so, so they're explaining, and one of the things that they said is they said, we must be quicker than our competitors because we're not kinder than our competitors. And of course, now I'm considering a job there. So I raised my head. I said, I would like to know more about that. Would you please expound? And one of the things that they actually teach in the training program is they go, we're not kinder than our competitors. Take, for example, if you take Chick-fil-A and you drive up to Chick-fil-A at the window and they hand you your food and you say, oh, you know what? I could use some extra sauce. Chick-fil-A's response to you is, how many do you want? At McDonald's, their response to you is, how much more are you willing to give us? Because they charge 50 cents more for each sauce. So he said, our name of the game is speed because we're not going to be like Chick-fil-A who gives free sauce. I guess I could put it like this when it comes to the lavishing love of God. I can determine which restaurants have the lavishing love of God just based off of how they'll respond if I ask for a ranch cup. You know what I'm saying? The lavishing love of God is not a love that says, what are you willing to put up front? Other religions speak of God that say, you have to put something up and this God will respond. The God that's known in Jesus Christ, he lavishes the sauce across everyone. He's the one that pushes sauce on you. He's not even, he's going to give you sauce whether you ask for sauce or not. That's how good the love of God is. That when Jesus Christ came to show the love of God, he came to us in love, he was in love, and he came for love. His love is excessive. It's too much. It's over the top. It's more than what you and I need. It is a love that's a grace. And it's a love that's a gift. It's simply a gift. There's nothing up front you have to give. A lot of times when we think of the word grace, when we think of that word of God's lavishing love, usually the first thing we immediately think of is we think forgiveness of sins. And that is one expression of God's grace. If you look throughout the New Testament, that usage of the word grace, it literally means gift. God lavishes gifts all around us. The gift of God is God's action in the world, which means that the forgiveness of sins is God's action. But also, the grace of God is just so much even bigger that it just lavishes upon you. You breathing right now, the thing you can't control, is God's grace lavishing upon you because it's God's action on your life. When you eat food and your body processes it, which you have no control over, it is the action and grace of God. That's why we say grace before meals. Grace literally means gift. It's God's action in the world. And those who claim to be God's children are those who receive his gifts and act from 
his action. And for many of us in our upbringing, this is difficult for us to be able to grasp. Because a lot of us, we're fine with God's grace as long as we contribute something to qualifying for that grace. That we do something to prove. Many of us, honestly, like a lot of us, we work under a mode of operation of you get what you deserve. The gospel in Jesus Christ is you and I get what we do not deserve. That God's love comes to us in a way that we need and rescues us. Mentalities like, you know, I tried my best in life, will not save you and will not sustain you. Mentalities like, well, at least I'm better, doing better than so-and-so, will not save you and will not sustain you. I tried really hard, will not save you or sustain you. God in Jesus Christ is the only one who will save and sustain you. It is a lavishing love of God that's poured on us. The love and action of God is not stirred up by you. You can do nothing to increase the love of God. And you can do nothing to decrease the love of God that God has for you. The question of God and Jesus Christ is not if God loves you, but are you willing to receive the love that God has already declared for you in Jesus Christ? John says you have to start here by receiving the grace of being called a child of God and claiming it. The second thing that John says, that is the most powerful thing he promises to anyone who claims being a child, a son or daughter, is found in just verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, in other words, when Christ returns, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. John says, as children of God, you will grow in seeing Jesus. But you're also promised that one day you will fully see him. And you will also fully see yourself the way that Jesus sees you. Let me try this illustration for a shot. Walking through life often feels like walking through a Cheeto museum. Right? You get that, right? Let me try it. No. All right, let me try to explain that. Back in 2017, Frida Olay came up with this brilliant idea. They started this trend where they started asking people to look at their Cheetos and see if they could find objects or pictures or shapes of people. And people started paying money for these Cheetos. One could say there was a lot of cheese in this effort. <laughs> I love that line. Um, I, I thought it was good. I know y'all didn't like it, but I did. Um, and I'm serious. They started the Cheeto Museum for these Cheetos that looked like objects or shapes of people. Let me show you some examples. Let me see if you, I'm going to show you some pictures, and you tell me if you can actually guess what this Cheeto is in the shape of, okay? All right, picture number one. We have any idea? What would that be? This would be Abraham Lincoln. Okay. This Cheeto went for $700. Okay. 
You can start an IRA or you can just buy a bag of Cheetos, okay? Here's another one. Do you know what this is? Someone said a seagull. I'm a little worried, okay? All right, this one would be a flamingo, okay? Went for $7,000, okay? Next one. Do we know what this is? Yeah, yeah. This would, Technically, it's an orange sea turtle, okay? Make sure you get your technicalities right. Uh, this one? How did you know that? Okay, I stared at this for a while. It is a diver. That's true. Goes for $5,000. One last one. Yeah, right. Like what? An ice skating dinosaur. That's very close. They call this one the turkey trot. Okay. Do you see it now? Following Jesus, sharing life with Jesus feels like walking through a Cheeto museum. Here's what I mean by this. There are times when you say yes to Jesus. That Jesus in your life is going to be very hard to find and identify. There are going to be times in situations in life where it's very hard to see how is Jesus at work in this right now. And there's other times where it's very clear where Jesus is at work right now. You know, I'm mindful there's been a lot of conversation this week. You know, a lot of people have been talking about uh, the lead pastor, Matt Chandler, and just uh, the behavior that he's had and stepping away for a little bit. I'm reminded once again, we depend all the time on people to be Jesus. When all people can do is point to Jesus. And sometimes we do that really well. And sometimes we don't do that really well. Part of walking with Jesus is figuring out Jesus. All of us are handed down Jesus. But when we're handed down Jesus, we're also handed down the opinions and the attitude or the cultural expectations of Jesus. And part of life is figuring that out. Part of life is figuring out how Jesus is working in you. There's some days where it's like, wow, I feel very clear that Jesus was working through me. And then there were other days that you're like, wow, I could not find Jesus very much anywhere in my life. The good news for those of us who struggle, who doubt, who really, really, really struggle to find Jesus in the world, John promises one day we will all meet Jesus. And we'll meet Jesus face to face. And all of the ambiguity will be cleared up in our lives. We will see Jesus without the opinions or attitude, expectations, or stigma that people staple next to Jesus' name. You will simply get to encounter the resurrected living Lord. And John says it's so powerful to see him that it will transform you. That when you are face to face with Jesus, you will actually be transformed in a more true, more beautiful, and more good way than you even see right now. And that is good news for the present, and that is good news for the future. You know, it's really interesting how the generational pendulum kind of swings with emphasis. I, uh, I remember growing up, I, I grew up in a very small church. It was a church of about 20 people that I'd spend the summer with my grandparents with. And I mostly grew up around older Christians. And I remember growing up around older Christians, much of the emphasis was always around heaven. It was always about eternity, right? Like 
Like it was, it was the group where I, I remember like Sunday services where someone would be like, one more verse of I'll fly away. And we would do it every time. <laughs> that was the emphasis. And then I remember moving to Abilene where I mostly spent time for 10 years with younger Christians. I actually, I would say like it was the age of most of the people of their kids and their grandkids. And one of the fascinating things was that people, especially younger people, tend to have a real de-emphasis of heaven and eternity. Like I remember saying across from young adults that were like, man, it is people who just focus on life after death, it's just toxic. I was like, how in the world did these two things kind of happen? And you know, maybe like some of the pendulum swing makes sense, right? Like if we overemphasize life after death, we start to forget things like, taking care of creation, even though the Bible says that heaven and earth come together. Earth doesn't just get scratched. We get really resistant and don't participate in things like justice because we think God will take care of everything at the end, even though the prophets literally say, if God's justice is coming, it should be reflected right now. And maybe some of that instinct is really good, but you can't throw away a life, a good news of Jesus. That isn't good news just for the present. But isn't it good news for the future? John literally says, one day you will get to see him as he is. That there's good hope for the future for all of us, which is really good news. Because when we live life like this is just it, when we live life like there isn't eternity on the way, we tend, the things we hold in life, we tend to squeeze. And we demand too much from them. We demand too much from our vacations. We demand too much from our spouse. We demand too much from the moment. This is why some of it, we can't make plans. We're always a maybe at every plan because we don't want to waste a single moment. And Christians have hung on to that, yes, there's good news right now, but there's good news for the future. That when you get to see Jesus, when you get to be there with Him, your greatest aches, the things that feel incomplete to you, the things that you struggle with, the projects you wish that you'd finished, the things that you don't have enough of, they come into perspective and you receive peace because you are with Jesus. And that's good news for all of us. And part of living in God's love is you're beginning the process of familiarizing yourself with the God of love that you will meet. Like at one point, everything that we build our lives around, right? Like life slowly starts to take away. That job that you're really known for, at some point, some young buck kind of comes behind you and takes it. The kids that you raise, they raise kids. At some point, our bodies betray us and we can't do what we used to do. At some point, we get most of us get to the last part of life and the only thing we have left is the love that we have received and the love that we have given. And part of how we prepare ourselves to meet Jesus is we familiarize ourselves with the love of God that will meet us. That we get ourselves ready. It's just like if you were to go to another country or you were to meet a new boss for the first time. You would familiarize yourself to prepare 
for that moment. And then there's one more thing that John says to refresh us. He says it like this, starting in verse 7. We'll go to verse 9. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. But the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. And because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, and the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And no one who's born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them and they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. When you are declared son or daughter of God, it's a bond. It's a bond to righteousness, not a bond to sin. We're saved by grace. But when God gives you the gift of grace, it begins a reciprocal process of going over and over. Here's the thing about gift. We think of a gift in our 2022 mindset. We think of gift as like something that is given and there's no expectation in return. And one of the things close readers of Scripture have pointed out that that's not how a gift would be viewed in ancient times. A gift would be viewed as something that bonded you with someone. It would establish mutuality and social bond. It was given to reinforce relationship. So when given a gift, you were expected to give something back, not because you had to repay them, but because it was your way of saying the gift meant something to you. And the person who gave you the gift meant something to you. Love is God's gift to us. And love that we give to other people is our gift back to God. God's grace, His gift, is meant for you to start giving grace and that gift to other people. Because when you love other people, you are living in the pattern of righteousness, not in the pattern of sin. It's every time you love someone, you are saying to God, God, you mean something to me in the gift that you have given over my life. I need. And John doesn't say this in a way that he's like, look, now that God has given you this gift, you're going to be perfect at it. John doesn't say it in such a way that you're never going to fail to love or that simply everyone that you encounter is going to be easy to love. John says that because of God's grace, because of his lavishing love, what you would find impossible on your own is now possible through what God has given you. When John uses this phrase, he says, because God's seed remains in them. What he means by that phrase, seed remains, this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. You don't have to love all by yourself. God gives you a gift to be able to be a gift to other people. It's like a bow drill kit. When I tried to start my first fire, all I would do is I'd just rub it, I'd rub it, I'd, rub it, I'd try as much as I could, and I'd try harder, and I'd try harder, and then I'd give up. When it comes to God's love, 
it's honestly like a bow drill kit. I had to have someone walk beside me at some point to be like, hey, you know, like after you like work hard on the wood after a while, you actually have to pick the char up and you have to put it on the tinder and then you have to add oxygen to it. You have to blow on it. You have to let the embers actually catch and ignite. That's what the love of God is like. You are given the spirit of God in your life. A fresh wind to be able, even with the people that you're like, oh, I really struggle. I really struggle to love them. You're given the spirit of God beside you and in you to help you be able to love them. I love how one person says it like this. They say the Holy Spirit transcends human ability and it transforms human inability. That's the spirit of God that is in you, that works around you and is working in you. When we struggle to love, you don't have to do it on your own. You can invite the Holy Spirit to refresh you, to rekindle and actually love people. So maybe this week, when that person drives you up the wall, when you struggle to love them, what if instead of gossiping about them, you slowly whisper to yourself, Holy Spirit, help me love them. When you receive that text message that you want so badly to shoot back a sarcastic response, what if you stopped and you whispered, Holy Spirit, help me love them? What about instead of shutting down and just trying to avoid them at all costs, what if you took a second to say, Holy Spirit, help me love them? Does it matter if you love them? Absolutely. It matters. Everyone can love who's easy to love. When you have to love someone that's hard to love, you have to draw from a deeper love than just yourself. It matters to love people who are hard to love because it also prepares you for the transformation that you're going to experience when you meet Jesus one day. And if you love them, you may just be able to show someone that there's a God who lavishes love upon them as well. As it was for early Christians, may it be for us too. So God, we come to you just asking for your spirit to kindle something in us towards those who are hard to love. God, may you help bring out the family resemblance this week that we're sons and daughters. Help us to be able to embody the love that you have for us as a father. Come Holy Spirit, we can only do this with you. In Jesus' name, amen.